0: Welcome to the High March School Podcast, the place where you can hear from the whole school community, staff, parents, but most importantly, the children. This is episode one of the podcast, and who better to begin this with but the school's headmistress, Kate Gator. So, in this episode, we talk about what girls' education looks like and what kind of things parents should be thinking about when choosing a school for their daughter. But I also wanted to find out what Kate was like as a person, so I quiz her on what she gets up to when she's not in school and what she does that's nothing at all to do with her work. It's a great episode and a fabulous way to get to know her. So come with me now as we step into school and speak to the headmistress, it's Kate Gator. Kate, thank you for joining us on episode one of the New School podcast. How are you today?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Uh, It's half term. Uh, I've had a few days rest and uh, feeling good
0: so of course sometimes teachers and head teachers in particular manage to get a little bit of time off but it sounds like you're in school and working during half term is that normal or are you use on reduced hours right now
1: i'm usually in term in school and working um a little bit reduced hours usually mornings only and try and get a little bit of afternoon time to do other things
0: So how does your work differ then, Uh, you know, apart from the obvious of there being no children around during half term, how does the work that you do differ during half term compared to other times during term time?
1: I mean, it does depend on the time of year. So at the moment, this term, this particular term, the summer term, half term is reading reports mostly. So that's what I spend my time doing during May half term. Bank holidays don't count. So that's what I've been doing for most of the last few days. Um, But it does depend on the time of year. Um, so if it's in the summer holidays, then it's a lot of um, really deep thinking projects where I can do without the interruptions uh, and where I can work without somebody knocking on my door and saying, can I have a few moments? And if it's uh, Easter, um, it might be preparing particular things for the summer term going ahead. It, it varies through the year. I see.
0: So in some ways, it must be quite nice because you're able to work on things without those distractions. But I imagine that in other ways. A school without children is just not right, is it?
1: It's weird. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a really strange place. I think all school all schools are. Um, High March particularly um, is a really fuzzy family sort of uh, feel to it. And so uh, this school without children in does feel very strange. My office is right next door to nursery class. So normally I have nursery children making me laugh daily just overhearing what they're doing and saying uh, and they're not here during the holiday so that's sad Uh, or I can wander out and somebody will be saying hi Mrs Gator there are very few staff in at the moment we do encourage staff to uh, to take the holiday um, as much as they can absolutely understand that with teaching as people already well know that we don't we don't start at nine o'clock in the morning and finish at half past three you know teachers work much more than that, and but we do when it's half term, they work really hard during term time. We do encourage them to take time if they can. so it's nice to walk through with nobody here.
0: Okay, so in a few moments, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about the school, but first of all, I'm dying to know how you got into working in education in the first place.
1: <laughs> um, I think possibly I had teacher written through my body from birth. I'm not sure. it feels that way. I did dabble along the way with possibly being a lawyer. Uh, I really enjoyed languages at school, okay. and uh, <laughs> looked looked at interestingly actually. As you look back, looked into um, European law uh, when I was uh, first thinking about work. I suppose so. So really, the uh, the journey to to teacherhood um, stems from the fact that I have a, a brother who's ten years younger than me, and I was probably about 17, 18. and I love my subject, so I studied English history. At university, and so I was thinking of being a secondary school teacher. But then my brother's school was looking for people to volunteer and help out, so I went in. And obviously, because he's that, that ten years younger than me, uh, he was seven or eight at the time. Uh, went into the primary setting and was just sold, and that that was it really. Uh, that was that was my journey. So as I say, I continued to study my subjects because I really enjoyed them, um, and and then did my PGC and came into teaching that way after straight through actually right the way i've never had a break uh from from school into training to be a teacher and and coming back into school as a teacher so uh yeah was a very very boring journey (laughs) (laughs) but 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 where where did you go to school yourself then so i was state educated um in a a comprehensive school in um stoke-on-trent as it turns out um i'm not from stoke-on-trent but that's where i was living at the time well mostly um so my my senior years were there and uh, so it's a school that doesn't exist anymore it's been knocked down and rebuilt in a new form uh, but myself and three of my brothers all went to that school over various times i have a, an, an older brother who's 10 years older than me uh, and my younger brother who's 10 years younger than me and another brother somewhere in the middle and um it's uh, it's really interesting but uh, we we all went to that school but it doesn't exist anymore
0: so, how did you end up in Stoke-on-Trent, which I think, from memory, is famous for—is it pottery and lace and Robbie Williams?
1: <laughs> yes, all of those things. My friend knew Robbie Williams; she went to school with him. Oh, well. Wow. Um, so, uh, I know, claim <laughs> to fame. Um, so, so pottery, yes. Uh, not many of them left anymore, sadly, and uh, it's actually quite quite sad to to visit, you know, there these days because it's a it's a city where you can see the prosperity of the past, but it's sort of crumbling around itself, which is really sad. Um, sorry, that's damning indictment to Stoke-on-Trent, but um, it, it, it is it is really sad. And uh, lace, I didn't know. Maybe I don't know about. It. I know coal, mm-hmm. and I, <laughs> so coal, coal, and pottery definitely. Lace, may be further back in time. I'm not sure. And and Robbie Williams will, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And and um, who's the famous snooker player? Uh,
0: Steve Davis.
1: No, not snooker player. Sorry, darts player. I apologize. The famous darts player. It's it's Phil the Power Taylor.
0: Oh right, right. I, I, I ridiculous I,
1: I, bit of information.
0: <laughs> I don't know many darts players at all.
1: Ridiculous.
0: <laughs> and then you mentioned that you went to university. Uh, where, where did you go then?
1: Uh, so I went to uh, I went to Manchester Metropolitan University. Uh, so uh, I went on to study English and. History, as I said uh, initially, and then from there went on to uh, the University of Warwick to study religious education. Well, I did my PGC first actually, mm-hmm. and then did religious education after that for my masters. So both at both at Warwick, my PGC and my MA.
0: Right, right. Gosh, religious education—that that's a slightly unusual one to study at university.
1: Yeah, well, that was teacher focused. So that was teaching religion. How do we teach religion? How do we uh, talk about religion in the classroom? Mm-hmm. How do we look at uh, you know viewpoints and and uh, and that sort of thing? and so, as a teacher, I was really interested in that mm-hmm. because um, I just think religion actually plays such a big part in people's lives, and it can it can prompt people to do really good things and really bad things as we know and see um and have seen throughout history. so it really fascinated me, and then how do we talk about that in class, and how do we discover things about? religions with the people's that we're teaching so that they are open-minded and um able to just explore and appreciate what other people think that's what that's what really excited me about it
0: do you think that in today's society it's getting harder and harder for some people to listen to other people's viewpoints and just consider them in a balanced way without sort of responding in a slightly hostile way in this seemingly polarized world that we appear to be living in today
1: i do i think it is it's it's interesting, isn't it? There's this dichotomy between accepting diversity, which is a big part of the culture, you know, culture and language and the way that people are talking, and the reality of how people are behaving. They don't quite match up. So so celebrate it, but actually, I'm going to I'm going to go into attack mode and not take a a reasonable, rational, objective view of what what I'm hearing or what yours or what you're saying to mm-hmm. me. So
0: yeah, yeah. Hey, tell me something about High March that I might not know.
1: Oh, um, it's owned by a brother and sister. Okay. Uh, you may know that if you've been to our website, but um, so uh, it is owned by a brother and sister who inherited the school from their grandparents twenty uh, uh, so years ago. The brother and sister both came to the school. Okay. As did their children. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it's a real uh, legacy project for them. Um, they they were really glo- close to their grandparents, uh, and I think it. Has meant a lot to them to take that on and take the school forward, um, in in the you know in respect for and memory of their grandparents, which is lovely. And how involved
0: in school life are they today?
1: Very much so, actually. Neither of them are educators, um, so neither of them trained to be teachers. Um, but I I personally meet with them every week. Uh, we have a scheduled meeting, but we will also see them knocking around the school. Um, on a daily basis uh in different ways so so Belinda who is the is, is the sister of the duo um uh, is a lawyer by trade um and uh but she is also our lollipop lady oh well. which is fabulous excellent um, so <laughs> we see her on the crossing uh in her hat and her high vis, uh crossing the crossing the children really uh safely um and Mike who is the brother does spend a lot of time on the golf course he won't mind me saying that um but um, is really, really involved in the school and the premises and um, makes sure that everything is just absolutely as it should be and is always looking at ways to develop the school. It's, it's, um, it's a really lovely, it's a great relationship that they have um, and a really great relationship that we have. I think uh, when, when I was appointed, they spent a lot of time, it's the longest appointment process I've ever been through, and um, but I think they spent a lot of time thinking about who they were, who they were appointing, um how we would fit together mm-hmm. um did our values align um and uh, and I think it's really interesting because everybody who joins the school becomes part of their extended of family of course and mm. I think you know g- genuinely uh, and I think when they were appointing me or appointed you know this that when I was appointed um I think they were really assessing is this a member of our family you know c- could we could we adopt this person into our family and and, and behave with her and talk with her and chat with her in the way that we would with members of our family. So it is um, it is really unique. Now on the website it, it says
0: that High March is a vibrant non-selective independent day school for girls aged 3 to 11 in Beaconsfield. Um, first of all just for anyone wondering what, what does non-selective mean?
1: So we don't carry out academic assessments on uh, girls entering into certainly not into the lower part of our school um so nursery reception are our main entry points and that's where the majority of our girls will join us and we don't carry out any sort of academic assessment at that point when they when they join us so that's the non selective part uh, you know it's very difficult to academically select a four year old um some people try to do it i'm sure there are ways um that that are more valid uh, or not but more or less valid rather but um but yeah so that's so we so we don't select so we 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 take in the girls Obviously, we do expect parents to be really honest with us about any particular concerns that they might have or anything that they've noticed about their their child's learning or anything that their their nursery settings might have said. Um, But we, you know, we're not we're not scared by, um, you know, girls who may, may need a little bit more support. And we'll be really honest with parents, uh, you know, if we feel that we can't meet a child's needs, then we will say that.
0: For some girls, I, I imagine that being in a co-ed school with girls and boys is is a good thing. But for other girls, being in a girls-only school is a good thing. But tell me your thoughts on all of that.
1: I could go on for hours about the advantages of girls' education. I, As I said, I was state educated, so I, I'm co-ed all the way, uh, right the way through. I can absolutely see how an all-girl setting would have been advantageous to me um, in in many respects. But when I talk to parents about this, I talk about the fact that, that there's lots of research that academically girls do better in girls' all-girl settings, generally speaking. And there's lots of evidence that boys do better in co-ed settings, which then asks the question, well, what effect is that co-ed setting having on girls? Are they being sacrificed at the altar of, of boys' success? Um, or is it just that, that there's, there's no you know, influence for the girls in their learning. So that's that's one thing. But I think also really interesting recently is the research, particularly with younger girls, um. so our age range, where it's been suggested that within a year of starting school, even if it's empirically incorrect, girls will start to associate brilliance with boys. Gosh. Even if she is actually better yes. <laughs> at something than a boy um so that's a really that was a really interesting piece of uh research yeah. piece of news that that
0: i read hey where does that come from
1: uh, with the research no
0: just that whole idea of of you know the brilliance being with the boys
1: do you know i i mean my my own thought is that um and we've 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 heard this in so many areas of life um is that boys don't look for perfection to believe that they can do something where girls a sweeping generalization, I absolutely appreciate, and there are always exceptions to the rule, whereas girls, unless perfection is achieved, then they're not they're not good enough. And so um, if if girls don't see themselves as being, pe- whereas boys will, will happily say that they are brilliant at something. Uh, and I've seen it happen. I've worked in an all boys setting as well, which was hysterical um, <laughs> with, with six year old boys. They will happily say that they're brilliant at something, even if they're not. Um, but girls will internalize that and hear that and believe it because they will then, because girls can be very self-critical and say, oh, but I know I'm not so. Therefore, he if and I would never say that that I was brilliant, and so you know. But then obviously he is brilliant because he's saying it. I think that's that's partly the mm-hmm. case, and you know I think also in and as I say I've worked in co-ed and both single-sex settings. Um, I think in those early years, <laughs> this is my own personal opinion that boys should run feral until they're seven. Um, basically, they're not <laughs> in my experience. Again, sweeping generalization. They're not as ready for the classroom setting at five as girls are. Girls generally go to language much sooner uh, than boys. They're able to go into a a classroom and go, okay, yeah, we get this. We know why we're here. We're in the same frame of mind. We know that we're trying to communicate our ideas um, and and we're able to do that. We're in a position to do that, whereas boys are... I guess, and continue to be, but definitely a five um, are uh, much more uh, physical. They're they're expressing their emotions through touch, all emotions through touch, um, <laughs> happiness, sadness, everything. And so that that kind of classroom setting, I don't think is is doing the best for boys. Personally, if you look at the traditional prep school model, which is seven to thirteen, that was designed for boys. Um, obviously, boys went to school much sooner than than girls. Uh, those those settings and that seven to thirteen model is absolutely brilliant for boys. And I've seen I've seen it. I've worked in a school that goes to thirteen. The difference between a boy at in in year six and a boy in year eight is huge between between eleven and thirteen. So um, so that I think there are lots of advantages. And, and obviously from an all girls point of view, we do know. And, and many parents ask this question: at you all know, girls, is it a Can it be a bit? Can I say the word "bitchy"? Um, and you go, I know what you're saying. What I think that actually means is, girls will get into relational conflicts much more than boys do. There is a lot. There is a lot more, you know, blocking out and um, manipulating friendships and, and trying to control friendships amongst girls, generally speaking um and i think that's what we refer to when we talk about the, the bitchiness of girls um and and it's not it's just that that's their way of expressing um their anxiety often um and their fear of um being without a friend or um, all all those you know insecure in some way um and so i think in a in a girl setting any any girl school worth its salt should have a really close eye on how do we help girls to understand how they manage relationships, how relationships work uh, with one another, friendships, um, and you know, and what can we do? What language and and skills can we give them in order to be able to navigate that that relationship that you know those those relationships really carefully? You know, year five for girls is horrific. Um, in terms of their emotional if you have any if you have any sort of not yet year five girls um out there, look forward to it um it it can be intense um uh, and so our collective experience of helping girls through that is is, i think um one of the the best uh, you know parts about being at girls school
0: and then where do the girls typically tend to go to after they leave high March?
1: I like to say that there is there is no one way to be a high march girl uh, and that's reflected in that there's no one path out of high march um so last year our girls went off to 14 different schools gosh from a cohort of 40 which um is is fairly impressive um <laughs> about half of our girls to be honest uh, will go off to grammar school mm-hmm. um we're in bucks we have the grammar school system we're in Beaconsfield. we have a a girls high school in Beaconsfield. Um, And we're a day school, so generally our families are relatively local. So um, half of our girls will tend to go off to a grammar school. It's usually Beaconsfield High School um, and or one of the other girls' uh, grammar schools that are close by, depending on where people live. But then they head off to lots of different, generally speaking, independent senior schools. um, And they're almost all single sex um, that the girls head on to, and that's both day and boarding. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you know we're really lucky in this location because we've got lots of really great schools. We have Wickham Abbey just down the road, uh, and we uh, always have a number of girls who head off there each year, usually as day girls, in the first instance, which is which is super. Uh, it's it's very competitive as a school to get into um, from an academic point of view. Uh, so to have, a, and particularly from a day place point of view, so we ha- to have a number of girls heading off there is always mm-hmm. good. We have girls heading off to Down House, um, uh, to Piper's Corner, which is a little bit closer to, it's a day school. Uh, and again, families will sometimes choose that. Um, if if families are looking for a co-ed type experience, um, there are not many actually co-ed schools. In fact, I'm trying to think of one and I can't um, close by, um, but parents will choose Berkhamstead School often. Um, So our girls head off there. Um, It really depends on what families are looking for uh, and what's right for the girl. So I spend a lot of time uh, meeting with parents individually um, to talk about their daughter. Um, And I say to parents, I will start talking about senior schools whenever you're ready. The most sensible time to start talking about it is in year four. Um, when we're starting to get a picture of the girl, her passions, her talents, her interests, um, and then we can start talking about well, okay, what options might we have for her to to leave High March uh, at the end of year six? They do have to leave at the end of year six. The number of times I've been asked to set up a senior school, even in the last four years, is ridiculous. Um, uh, so, so what might be the next best step um, for for our girls? So there's a, you know a really really wide range of schools. Um, I'm trying to think. As far afield as uh, Queen Anne's in in uh, Reading, uh, Headington in Oxford, uh, St Helen's in Northwood, they will get on the coach and they will travel. There are Beaconsfield is a great centre for um, going out to schools because everybody sends a coach to Beaconsfield or somewhere close yeah. by. Interesting, very
0: interesting. Kate, tell me something that you're into when you're not in school. Something completely outside of your work, nothing at all to do with education.
1: Uh, horse riding. I can say that categorically. <laughs> No other interests um, at all. No, (laughs) Uh, And my dog, Uh, but horse riding, uh, horse riding mostly. uh, And it it does gobble up a lot of time if you allow it. So um, I really do love horse riding. And I've got back into it actually since moving uh, to Buckinghamshire, Mm -hmm. um, uh, which is fantastic. And it's one of those things that really does make you switch off your brain because you can't be thinking about anything else at all. Um, if you're sitting atop uh, a Welsh section D who's got opinions of his own um, and you're out in the countryside. so
0: Fantastic. And of course, we keep on hearing about the need for us to switch off from our work from time to time and just focus on something which is absolutely nothing to do with work. So it's great that you've got horse riding. In order to focus on. Um, Kate, I've got a couple of quick fire questions here for you now. Hmm? Uh, First of all, movies or theatre? Theatre. Theatre. Oh, what was the last good play you saw then? Or musical, for that matter?
1: Oh, gosh. um, Probably the last... See, I don't get to go out. I I horse ride. That's all I do. Um, But if I had to choose um, a theatre, probably it would be The Tempest at the
0: RSC,
1: which was was really great.
0: Well, the RSC, clearly... Obviously, great for anything Shakespeare related. How about books? If you're reading, would you rather read a novel or something non fiction?
1: I just love books, full stop. Um, I will read anything, literally. For our second wedding, no, our first, which is the paper, for our wedding anniversary, whichever one was paper, my husband bought me a dictionary. Um, that's how sad I am.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's sad. <laughs> I think that's great. You can, you can learn a, really a lot big from a dictionary. dictionary. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Okay, if I said red wine or white wine or something else, what would you normally drink?
1: Um, I would normally drink tea. Tea. <laughs> I like
0: that. Tea. Very tea. good. Very, very good. <laughs> uh, a couple more here. Summer holiday or winter holiday? Summer. Summer.
1: Okay. I am a big fan of the English countryside and it doesn't matter what time of year it is, but I do love Cornwall in the summer or Dorset.
0: And if you're on a summer holiday... Let's imagine that you're anywhere in the world. I was about to ask you, actually, if you'd go for an activity holiday or a beach holiday. I'm going to guess you'd go for an activity holiday. Yes, uh, definitely uh, activity holiday. I'm starting to figure you out now. Okay, la- last <laughs> question. What are, your, what are your plans for this summer?
1: Uh, well, going to Dorset, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, so uh, that's something I'm looking forward to. Uh, that will be myself, my husband and my dog, uh, who I, I do adore. Um, and we will be doing lots of walking, and uh eating and uh chilling out and hopefully doing a little bit more on our new house
0: very good very good what a great way to spend summer uh we've still got a few weeks to go until we get there of course but in in the the meantime i hope the rest of the summer term goes very well kate if anyone's listening to this and they wanted wanted to get in touch with you what's the best way they should do that
1: uh if they contact office at highmarch.co.uk that's definitely the best way to get
0: in touch Okay. Fantastic. Well, look, in the meantime, Kate, thank you for your time. It's been great talking to you. I really appreciate you being here.
1: Thanks very much, Simon. Good to speak to you. So
0: that was Kate Gator, headmistress at school, opening up about life at school, what it's really like there and what she's like as a person too. Thank you for your time on this opening episode, Kate. It was great to talk to you. Now our next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.